Greetings, gamers. I'm Ben Roth. And I'm Shoot Kapow. And I'm Ed. And you're listening to Very Good Music, a VGM podcast. Welcome back to another week of very good music, also video game music. You know, fittingly enough, it's taken me 10 episodes, but I finally figured out that uh, those letters can stand for both those things. That's pretty Seems cool, serious huh? Seriously? <laughs> well, yeah. You never told me before. I Th- mean, you were the one who kind of came up with the names. <laughs> <laughs> this bit is going extremely well. <laughs> well, um, everybody, this is a very special episode. Not only is it episode number 10, which it's kind of crazy that we've made it here already. Um, it's also a, kind of an Independence Day episode, although that doesn't really have much to do with our theme at all today. <laughs> but, Actually, uh, a bit far from it. In addition to that, uh, we are joined by a very special guest, a uh, good buddy of mine, one of my oldest friends, actually, in the VGM podcasting community, and a little bit of a mentor, though I won't make too big of a deal out of that, uh, because I don't want to embarrass him. <laughs> but I would like to introduce him now. Uh, this is Ed from the VG Embassy. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Bedroth and Shoot Kapow. It's a great honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. You're very welcome. We're very honored to have you. Uh, we've both been excited about this, and we're finally ready to get into it. So you and I kicked some ideas around for this a couple of times. Uh, we had a couple of things that we kind of mulled over and then ultimately decided didn't want to go that direction. But then I had the idea, since you are the uh, prime VGM minister, um, and uh, kind of run the VG Embassy, which has attracted a pretty wide um, following of people, many of whom now have their own shows that they yeah, didn't have true. when we first got I... together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like us. Well, instead of having you, I guess, talk up your uh, stuff at the end of the show, which we can come back to a little bit of that, for anybody who actually listens to my podcast who didn't listen to yours first, which I imagine is probably a pretty small crowd, but you never know. Tell us a little bit about the VG Embassy, how it started and what it is and um, kind of what you do. Yeah, sure. So I, I mean, my roots go way back to, uh, I started doing Pixel Tunes radio going on, God, six, seven years now. Um, and that went on for about four years. So about three years ago, I started the VG Embassy, uh, on my own. And so what I wanted to do is have a different guest on every show to kind of bring their own flavor of VGM culture 
with them on the show. So every show is a little bit different. It's me and someone else. Uh, we do different themes. Sometimes we'll do uh, like a blind listen where we'll listen to a, a video game soundtrack without knowing anything about it. And we try to guess what kind of game it is based on the music. Uh, sometimes I'll do interviews with uh, VGM cover bands or composers. Uh, and lots of times I'll have other VGM podcast hosts on the show or just really good friends who are very much into the music itself. So it's a great time. I've had a blast doing it. You've been on my show a couple times, Bed Roth, or at least once so far. Yeah. Um, I know we've talked about some other shows we might be doing in the future, but we always have a great time hanging out, uh, me and whoever's on the show. So uh, I'm just happy that it's been so successful for the past three years I've been doing it. Well, and it's it's a really great show. Uh, not just saying that because I was on it. Uh, that was actually the first time I ever recorded a podcast was when you and I did the um, the orchestral music episode. That's right. Last mm-hmm. fall, um, and it's it's a really great show. I listen to a lot of VGM podcasts. I'm not quite up there with. Uh, Alex Messenger or Carlito, I don't think, but I'm pretty close. <laughs> and um, since the quarantine uh, kicked in and I started working from home, I haven't had quite as much time to listen, but the um, BG Embassy is still one of the ones that I'm still up to date with. I actually haven't caught your most recent episode with the Dyad yet, but it's always a treat to hear from Ben. And so, uh, and I, I love Katamari Damacy, so I'm looking forward to that one for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you. But in keeping with uh, your sort of mission to um, bring uh, people on from different corners of the VGM world and share their culture, I thought it might be cool to explore the wider world of VGM culture on this episode. And so uh, we're calling – the title of the episode is going to be VGM International with Ed from the VG Embassy. And uh, Shukapau is going to bring – well, tell us a little bit about what I assigned you for this episode. Uh, well, I guess just to find composers that I know, so mostly Japanese c- composers, <laughs> yep. and Mr. Kirkhope. Yes, we will be hearing from Mr. Kirkhope. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've, a lot of what you know is Japanese composers because you're into more retro music right now. Uh, you haven't explored a whole lot of the modern stuff except through this show. Um, and I knew that Ed had a a really good grasp on a, a big corner of the scene that I don't have, which is more of like the European scene, the American scene, Western uh, video game music. And so um, I think that's a lot of uh, what you're going to bring to the table today. And I branched out a little bit. I have never played any of the games on my list except for actually the play-in and play-out tracks. <laughs> um, but I went to different areas of the world that kind of – I had never really explored before VGM wise and we've got a really diverse uh, set of songs for y'all today that I'm really excited for you to hear. The song that we opened up with, I guess I'll just introduce it first then we can talk about what we thought of it. That was The Lum's Dream which plays in the Sea of Serendipity area of Rayman Origins which came out of 2011 for multiple platforms uh, has since been ported to even more uh, Rayman of course is published by Ubisoft and that was composed by Christophe Haral a French composer of not just video games, but also film. Uh, I think he's done some work for theater. He's done quite a bit of stuff. And uh, I can talk a little bit about him in just a minute. But what did you guys think of that track? 
I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I know that a lot of the Rayman tunes have kind of gibberish lyrics. <laughs> I actually just played one. I think it was episode 51, that new and improved, like that, that pre-scripted kind of weird show that I did. We did oh, a- Oh, that um, show was excellent. <laughs> yeah, we did, a, we did a Rayman tune in there too called Glue Glue, and this had a lot of those glue um, lyrics in there as well. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really kind of ethereal and very- like ghostly, like I really kind of pictured like a nighttime forest with like fireflies floating around mm-hmm. with, with kind of weird comical faces on them, <laughs> kind of singing the song. <laughs> this, I, I think actually it comes from a water stage, but there are definitely like, I guess, the underwater equivalent of fireflies uh, floating around with you, uh, the lums themselves, which are kind of like little mm-hmm. firefly characters. Um, I remember you guys playing Glue Glue, which is another one I'd heard before. Yeah, that's there you go. What did you What did you think of this one, Jukapal? I mean, uh, I guess the gibberish aspect kind of reminded me of Animal Crossing. <laughs> so, <laughs> which you've been playing a lot mm. of this week with Dusklight and me. I mean, I wouldn't really say a lot. We got uh, New Horizons finally this week, and so the three of us have been kicking around there. Dusklight is actually over on the couch right now playing it with her headphones, so we can't <laughs> hear it. But <laughs> uh, so anybody out there who. Um, has uh, been looking for a reason to jump back in. Uh, we've only got like two kinds of fruit right now, so we'd love to come explore your island. You can come explore ours. There's not much to see right now. But <clears throat> back to Rayman. Uh, I first heard this tune on the Supermarcado Bros um, show. Uh, they've played it a few times. And yeah, it definitely is ethereal, like you were saying, Ed. Um, the, the glue glues really... I think it's kind of a nice juxtaposition with that sort of ethereal, ghostly nature. And if you listen beneath the the lyrics, which I believe Haral actually recorded himself, um, if you listen beneath the sort of gibberish lyrics, uh, there's some really like intense melodies and harmonies going on here. And it's really a really, really pretty tune um, when you get down to it. Absolutely. So, um, Christophe Herral is a, like I said, a French musician. Uh, he grew up in a family of musicians. His uh, grandfathers were both musicians. His brother was in a rock band. And he first uh, recorded his first OST for an animated short film when he was 26. Um, he was born in 1950. So, do the math. He's been doing this for quite a while. Wow. And uh, he's most well known for working with Ubisoft. He's recorded quite a bit for Rayman. Um, he actually pointed out this song as one of two songs that he really hoped people would listen to, give some attention to when they listen to the soundtrack. He was really proud of this one. Um, he uh, he liked all of the Lum themes like Glue Glue and this one. He, he thought they were a lot of fun both to record and to uh, compose with. But he was really he, – he was particularly proud of this one. He also recorded uh, or composed the soundtrack for Beyond Good and Evil, um, which – was that N64 PlayStation? I know it was that generation. Uh, uh, might have been yes. GameCube. I'm pretty sure it was N64 at least, if not other systems. And that one was uh, – that was an on-rail shooter, right? I'm remembering – I think I might be getting it mixed up with something else around that time. Mm. But um, I remember for people who who know Beyond Good and Evil – Everybody I've heard of who has played it has loved it. It's uh, it's apparently a really, really great game. I mention it because there's a track on that uh, soundtrack called Propaganda, which I'm going to refer back to when I talk about my next track because I think there's a connection there. Not 100% sure, but I think there is. But I've talked enough about uh, the Sea of Serendipity. I would like to hear the first track that you are bringing to the table, Ed. Absolutely. 
So we are going to visit the uh, our neighbors to the north, Canada. We're going to play a track called Exit, Pursued by Motorcycles from the game Sleeping Dogs. This came out in 2012, composed by Jeff Timoshuk. That was Exit, pursued by motorcycles from the game Sleeping Dogs. That was a 2012 release composed by Jeff Timoshuk. The game came out on Windows, Xbox 360, and PS3, developed by United Front Games from Manitoba, Canada, and published by Square Enix. One of my favorite games from that era. But first, uh, what did you guys think of this track? Yeah, shuckle. <laughs> shuckle. Shuckle. We were uh, talking during the song about some of the instruments, and uh, Ed mentioned the shakuhachi, and Shukapau has not been able to get shuckle out of his head because he's a Pokemon freak. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a game freak, huh? I uh, really liked it. We were talking about the shakuhachi because uh, I was quizzing Shukapau on some of the, the Asiatic-sounding instruments in the song. And that was the first thing that jumped out at me was how it was like a, a blend of sort of Western and uh, Japanese sounds in in the composition. And it definitely had a, well, an exit pursued by motorcycles sort of tone to it. But, <laughs> yeah. But it was a very rich, diverse tone. Um, uh, I liked it a lot. And yeah, I was telling Shukapau, I was surprised when I saw it, uh, that... Um, this was a square game. That's interesting. Uh, tell us a little about uh, about the game and about your time with it. Yeah. Yeah. So the game is a very it it's similar to Grand Theft Auto in the sense that it's a kind of a wide open sandbox game that takes place in a city and its surrounding suburbs. Uh, you play as an individual who 
uh, has to avenge a fallen family member, and so you get involved with some crime gangs, etc. So you're playing as a bad guy, but you're really kind of a good guy, kind of similar to the way that Grand Theft Auto works, depending on the title. Uh, so there's a lot of similarities between the two, but this one being more of a, uh, like a, a game with an Asian flair, there's a little more melee combat. There's a lot more of the hand-to-hand -hand fighting and almost like Tekken-style battles where it's one versus many hmm. instead of a lot of the long-range kind of firearm combat that you'll have in yeah. uh, Grand Theft Auto 5 and stuff like that. So it's not as crazy as Grand Theft Auto 5, but I really liked, uh, it had a really nice storyline. It had some really nice um, graphics and very good voice actors. It's a really engrossing uh, kind of uh, uh, cutscenes in between all the all the music. I'm sorry, in between all the gameplay. And, and the music is great too. Like I love this soundtrack because one of my favorite soundtracks of all time is the soundtrack to uh, Bushido Blade 2 on the PlayStation 1 by Ryuji Sasai. And that does what this soundtrack does a lot, is it blends like American or modern rock and roll elements with Chinese and Japanese traditional music. And I love that combination of sounds. So this was a really good example of, of that and uh, Exit Pursued by Motorcycles. Was the aesthetic in the game kind of similarly a blend of, like, Asian and uh, Western, like, I guess, the environments and everything? Yeah, it takes place in Hong Kong, so oh, okay. you're, gotcha. you're in, like, a Chinese, ter well, Chinese territory now, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, yeah, we, we won't go there right now. <laughs> that's, that's a whole bag of worms right there, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, of course... Hong Kong spent a lot of time under British rules, so it's kind of westernized as well. So you get yeah. like a, that that flavor of the both of them at the same time. So you know the, all the all the dialogue is spoken in English, and um, and so there's a lot of uh, you know like arcades and stuff that you pass by and markets, and it's a very like breathing, living city. So um, gotcha. it's got kind of a combination of eastern and western flares. I wasn't sure if it was like a real world setting or. Like, uh, Chukapau, what is that? What's that Disney movie where they live in a place that's like American but also Japanese, like a mixed city? Uh, Big Hero 6? Yeah, Big Hero San 6. Francisco. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. San Francisco, yes. Either way, it was, it was really cool. I was um, also surprised at the size of the soundtrack. I, I listened to quite a bit of it in narrowing down the, the file that I needed for the episode. And um, the really diverse mix, that's actually where I got the idea that it was similar to Grand Theft Auto because I saw a lot of different like radio station types. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, yep, exactly. And that's, that's really cool. Is, is this um, like a radio song or is this an environmental song? This is an environmental song, so this is, I mean, as it kind of explains Exit Pursued by Motorcycles, it's, it's, uh, oh, yeah, it's part of a, part of one of the major missions that you go on where you need to get out of this building as fast as possible, and you're trying to escape. I think you're in a car, and then you've got a bunch of uh, gang members and motorcycles on your tail, and you're, you know, you're just trying to get back to uh, your, your home base to make it safely there. I have a little bit on the composer if you'd like to learn a little bit about Jeff Timoshuk. Yeah, tell us about our, uh, you said he's Canadian? Yeah, he's from Manitoba, Canada, and he began his career composing and arranging music for 007 Nightfire for Electronic Arts back in 2002. And since then, he's composed music for film and games. Uh, he's actually done some composing for WWE productions. He did Leprechaun Origins and the Marine 4 Moving Target 
uh, both which star WWE superstars. Uh, he scored numerous theater productions for his local Carousel Theater for Young People in Vancouver, hmm. and that earned him a nomination for the Jesse Richardson Theater Award for Composition. Uh, and he's done a couple of other notable games like Death Spank, uh, Penny Arcade Adventures, and some incidental music for The Simpsons Hit and Run. So he's got a career that's kind of like all over the place, from really serious games to very comedic stuff to theater to movies. He's really versatile. Sorry, Ed, real quick. Did you say Death Spank? Death Spank, yes. Spanky, spanky, spanky. Oh, that's amazing. The game's as hilarious as it sounds. It's it's a really good kind of action-adventure game. It came out, uh, I'd say, like 10, 15 years ago, but it's it's worth a play. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> good, good deal. Well, um, cool. Jeff uh, Timashuk. All right. That's his name. Yep. So from from French to Canadian, not not too big of a jump there. Although he's not he's not from Quebec. So anyway, we won't right. go there either. <laughs> very very cool. All right. <clears throat> well, shoot Kapow. So Ed and I both took things from around the, the early 20 teens, um, a French composer and a Canadian composer. Uh, so are you going to kind of stay in similar territory with us for your first pick? <laughs> oh, we're going to Japan. All right. Japan. But around like the same time, 2010, 2011, 2013? 1985. 1985. Okay. Well, uh, I guess tell us what you have for us and then we'll listen to it and see if Ed and I know what it is. Alright, this is from Super Mario Bros. Underwater. Okay, that sounds kind of familiar. Let's let's see. Let's see if we know this one. Hmm. <laughs> wonder who that was composed by. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about uh, this composer and um, why you chose him, and then we'll talk about how this fits on sort of an international episode topic. All right. So Koji Kondo wrote this in 1985 for the game Super Mario Bros. on the NES. Kondo has some um, a lot of diverse influences. Actually, this was. Uh, do you know what uh, style of like the the tempo is? Shukapau, like what you would call this. Um, waltz. Yes, very Got good. It. It's a waltz. Nice job. Which is in what time signature? Three four. Yes, very good. And the waltz is. We'll see if you go three for three. What continent did the waltz originate on? There's only seven of them. Just guess one. <laughs> Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> was not Antarctica. There you go. Um, no, it was European. Um, I could not tell you exactly what country it originated in or even which composer kind of uh, popularized it, but um, Kondo studied a lot of uh, like classical. Um, he is classically trained as a composer, but he also has a lot of influences in uh, like pop culture, rock, things like that. Um, this, though, this is a straight-up waltz. 
there's not a whole lot, I guess, to say about the song itself. Ed, do you have any like particular thoughts about the song? Any particular memories of it or anything? Well, this was probably the second video game stage theme to ever play in my house when I was growing up after the, you know, the first stage theme. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no, maybe the third, right? Because there was this one and then the underground theme. <laughs> yeah. And then you go underwater I after that. I think this that, one so. is level two of world two. So like you go overworld, yeah. underground, and then overworld, overworld castle, and then you go overworld, okay. underwater, and it kind of follows that. Okay. Yeah. So, so technically, it's the fourth piece of music then, because you know, oh, like yeah. the castle theme, That's right. the underground theme, the overworld theme. And then there's it like is the, the fanfare after you defeat Bowser. Well, but the fanfares don't really count as like full pieces. Eh, like <laughs> yeah, fanfares. they're short loops. I like fanfares too, but they're they're short loops. They're a different different category. It's funny though. I always think of it as the third one too. Um, maybe it's because of that uh, that old oh that old like like vocal Mario Brothers remix that somebody did back around. Around like the year two thousand, where it's like da 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 da, you know, stuff like that. Because <laughs> they did the, the Mario uh, Twins. The, yeah, the Mario Twins. Yeah, because they did the underwater theme third. So maybe that's why I always think of that. <laughs> that's and, funny, but I mean, this is such an influential piece. I mean, this really kind of I think cemented the sound for underwater music for video games, like, probably for the next 20 years oh, yeah. or so. Like, the waltz just fits so well with those little bloop bloops of Mario swimming along. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of composers just really took that and ran with it when they were making their own soundtracks. So you hear tons and tons of underwater music sound very much like the original Mario Brothers underwater theme. Definitely. So this, this song is kind of like the grandpappy of all of them. Yeah. And yeah, like even when the tone is different, I realized a little while back when I was listening to the soundtrack again from the Ninja Turtles game on the NES, uh, even the the blow up the dam level is, it's, mm-hmm. e- it's either in 3, 4, or 6, 8, but it's got that same sort of rhythm to it. Um, yeah. And yeah, you're, you're definitely right about the waltz and underwater levels. Um, Shoot Kapow also looked up a little bit about each composer, uh, just so we could learn something new about these folks what did you look up about uh koji kondo so koji kondo apparently learned the electric organ at the age of five and his first audio composition was for punch out oh the arcade punch out yeah yeah cool that's right yeah and where was he born in japan nagoya aichi japan which is the largest city in the Chubu or central region of Japan. Very cool. Nice. Nice factoid there, bud. Hmm. Huh. All right. Well, I guess that brings us back to my next track. Um, and I, this is another game that was published by Ubisoft. I mentioned that there was a connection between the uh, last composer who I mentioned, Christoph Herall, and the composer of this upcoming theme. We'll talk about that a little bit more when I come back, but just to get things rolling, from the Prince of Persia, the Forgotten Sands, this is Enemies of the Jinn.
right, that was Enemies of the Jinn from Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands, which, uh, like Rayman Origins, was published by Ubisoft actually a year before that game. This came out in 2010 for several different platforms. The Xbox 360, PS3, PC, the Wii, the DS, the PSP, lots of different platforms. Although, in looking into this game, I actually found out that this version of the soundtrack came from the game, the version of the game that was made for the PS3, Xbox 360, and the PC. The other versions, uh, there were four different versions. The Wii version was different, the DS version was different, the PSP version was different. They were developed by different studios, they had different soundtracks and even different storylines, but they were all called The Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands. So, wow. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I do not have a lot of experience with this series. Um, I think I played the first one back on the SNES, and it was a little bit slower than a lot of the, the action games I was used to, and so I just wasn't quite ready for it, I guess. Um, have you played much of the Prince of Persia games, Ed? Not a ton, but enough to kind of be able to talk about it a little bit. I mean, they're they're fairly well done uh action games. Uh, there's a lot of like parkour jumping off of walls and swinging from ropes and and just kind of like basically a lot of the game is like coming out of a of like a tunnel and looking at this like big scene below you with guys and jumps and boxes and holes and whatever and you really kind of have to plan out like how you're going to dispatch all of these guys and get to the other side of the room in like three sequential moves like there's a lot of real like almost ballet in this in these games gotcha. the cool thing about it as far as some of the later games like sands of time and forgotten sands is that you have a rewind function so you have a magical hourglass and if you screw up you can rewind time and then you know get that hit in correctly on that guy or time that jump more correctly oh cool and so you can technically like from everybody else's point of view make it through the whole level in one move instead of um, you know, rewinding and going forward and rewinding and going forward. So it, there's a little bit of, of play there for beginners to kind of perfect your craft. It's a really cool concept that a lot of other games have used since then, but this is the series that like kind of... Like the Mega of, Man Legacy Collection. Uh, yeah, exactly. And this is the game that kind of innovated that that sequence of, of rewinding time in, in the middle of action. That's a cool function in games, especially when it's... Uh built into the gameplay of the game itself, uh, where there's sort of a, a limit to it, and you kind of have to mm. figure out when and where you want to use it. In the, some of the retro collections, like the Mega Man Legacy Collection, it was added in because those games were so unforgiving. <laughs> kind of kind of makes them a little bit more manageable. Yeah. Um, but not Mega Man 3. <laughs> oh, let's not go there yet. Hard. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But, uh, I guess this is as good a time as any to uh, plug it really quickly. Um, for our season finale, episode 12, uh, for anybody who doesn't know yet, we're going to be doing a Mega Man 2 versus Mega Man 3 showcase. Shuka Pao's favorite of the retro Mega Man games is Mega Man 2. Mine is Mega Man 3. And so that'll be, that'll be a fun episode. We're going to do a two-parter there. But back to Prince of Persia. Obviously, the setting here is Middle Eastern, since it's Prince of Persia. 
The composer, though, is actually Bulgarian, and I'm going to talk a little about her in a second. But I wanted to come back really briefly to uh, Beyond Good and Evil, one of the games that Christoph Herall composed for. He mentioned that for the song Propaganda, he recorded the voice of a Bulgarian friend, and she actually has a conversation with him over the phone as part of the background audio of that song. Now... It's about uh, propaganda, lies, um, manipulation by the media, and that sort of reminded me of what I learned about this upcoming composer. Now, I don't know... Uh, there was, there was the only connection that I drew between them is that they're both Ubisoft employees. These games came out around the same time. One of them is Bulgarian, um, a Bulgarian lady, and uh, but I didn't see anything that contradicted that this might be who it was. So this is completely uh, speculation on my part. Mm. But the composer in question that I'm talking about is um, Pinka Kaoneva. And I am not Bulgarian. I apologize up front if I mispronounce any of these names coming up. But Pinka Kalneva was born February 25th, 1967 in Sofia, Bulgaria. Um, she uh, moved to the States uh, to study. She actually has studied at a lot of different places. Um, I, got, I, I can get into a lot of it. I have like a whole page written about here. Uh, <laughs> Ed, Ed, Ed and I were talking about how when we were growing up, we never thought that we would use all of those uh, those book report skills that we learned in school uh, for something fun. But um, it is. It's a lot of fun looking up stuff about these folks. But I don't want to give you guys a wall of text. So basically, this lady is really cool. I wanted to diversify um, not just by area of the globe, but also a little bit by gender. So I have a couple of female composers on my list. I, I found a lot of great music and uh, everything on this list is as good as most of the stuff that I had to cut. So I definitely encourage you guys to go out um, and build up your own uh, repertoire of video game music. Do some research, uh, look up some new places, new people that you haven't heard of before, because there's a lot of really good stuff out there. Kaneva is on the advisory board of game Devel the Game Developers Conference. Uh, she's an advisor for Sundance Composers Lab. She's a mentor for the Game Audio Network Guild. Uh, she has also... Um built and trained high-performance teams for movie score production. Uh, she's trained people in Hollywood like Philip Klein, Ben Bromfield, uh, Catherine Graylish, um, lots of different people in both games and movies that this lady has had a lot of influence on. Um, she's also a, an advocate for artist growth, for the advancement of women composers. Um, she is on several different panels. She's conducted a lot of seminars and concerts promoting uh, women film and game composers in Los Angeles at GDC and the Society of Composers and Lyricists. So she's uh, definitely involved in the world of composition, not just in games, but all over the place. So That's incredible. Yeah, that's quite a resume. Yeah, definitely so. And uh, she was not the sole composer on Enemies of the Djinn. Um, they are on uh, Prince of Persia. She did compose Enemies of the Gen, but um, she was involved in this and several other different projects at Ubisoft. But she sounds like she's got her hand in uh, sort of a lot of different pots, as it were. Very cool. Shukapal, what did you think of the song itself? We haven't talked a lot about the music. Does that sound more like game music or movie music to you? Hmm. Just from your experience. Hmm. I guess game music. <laughs> well... When we're talking in the era that we're talking about, it, it started kind of blending a little bit. Like, 
it's actually a little bit of a point of controversy, uh, wouldn't you say, Ed, about how how game music has turned more cinematic and less, I guess, how it used to be? I'd say, yeah, I'd say there was kind of a bell curve there. Like, around 2010, it was definitely a blurry line between cinematic music and video game music. And now you start seeing the real popular soundtracks are, like, soundtracks from, like, Doom and Doom Eternal, and a lot of these much more rock and techno soundtracks are becoming popular. So I think it's swinging back away from cinematic music, but Mm -hmm. definitely around this time... Everything was orchestrated. Everything sounded a lot like this, where you could place it into a movie very easily. Yeah, and and wouldn't you wouldn't need to change anything for it. It's kind of the AAA sound, uh, but but yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like a lot of um, like in a lot of different areas of gaming right now, uh, the music scene, the VGM scene, is sort of diverged into different areas where you have like the um, the throwback sound, like Jake Kaufman and Rainbow Dragon Eyes and uh, Chipsol and these guys do, and then there's the still the AAA cinematic sound, and then like you were talking about the more like rocking. Um, uh, the harder sound of game music. Yeah. There's definitely something out there for everybody. So, and um, what uh, what kind of something do you have for us next, sir? Well, we're going to take a little bit of a, well, this is a modern game with more of a retro sound. So we're going to listen to a track called Artifacting from the game Rat Rogers. This came out in 2018, composed by Andrew Holschultz. Thank you. 
All right, that was Artifacting from Rad Rogers. That was released in 2018, composed by Andrew Holschultz. That's available on Switch, PS4, Windows, and Xbox One. was created by Slipgate Studios and published by THQ Nordic. Although the composer, Andrew Holschultz, from your guys' neck of the woods, he's from Dallas, Texas. Wow, Ooh. cool. Yeah, with a name like Holschultz, that could really be from anywhere in Europe, almost. But <laughs> Dallas, uh, Texas, very cool. So what did you guys think of this track? Oh, man, it was great. <laughs> like, well, what about you? What did you think, Shukapal? I've been doing a lot of talking for us. I mean, that track really went some places. It was very diverse and very active. Yeah, definitely an active track. That uh, I've told you about arpeggios, and of course you're in band, so you know what arpeggios are, but that arpeggiated synth that kept doing the runs up and then back down. Um, I was uh, telling Ed during while we were listening that it kept like it didn't quite it didn't follow the time signature it was going at kind of a different um different beat than the time yeah it's kind of pulsing differently yeah yeah it was uh, almost almost syncopated that's not quite what syncopation is i don't think but anyway but it was it was really cool i liked it a lot and um that one i think i am gonna let that play a little bit long probably not for a full four minutes but just so people can hear the some of the places it goes but definitely guys go out listen to this whole thing this is a great track and i'm really intrigued to hear more about this game um what is this game like ed yeah so the soundtrack fits very well with the game the game is kind of an homage to classic side-scrolling platform games like right on the steam page it says inspired by classics like commander keen conquer rough and tumble jazz jack rabbit oh commander keen <laughs> that takes me back all those old 3d realms games i mean this is a game that's that's um uh developed in part with 3d realms so they they know their stuff um the game is basically like kind of a run and gun with some platforming elements you have a um a partner called Rusty, which is a game controller. Like, so your your character, Rad Rogers, knows he's in a video game. Oh, that's cool. It's one of those deals where, like, he gets sucked into a game, and so he's got to play all this stuff. So he's kind of like, as you're going through the levels, he's like talking about like the different tropes of video games like hey this wall looks different i must have to bomb it like that gets very fourth wall breaking <laughs> that's great so, yeah it's cool stuff um the game plays really well they originally released a demo called rad rogers world one which was like i think it was like two dollars on steam or something so i picked it up and that was kind of like you know if they got enough people that were interested in world one they would have enough funds to make the rest of the game and so a lot of it gained a lot of interest and they did so they they made rad rogers and then later on they released rad rogers radical edition which has uh new playable characters new levels new music new music a whole bunch of new stuff so it's it's a huge game at this point with a really really good soundtrack from um from andrew holschultz definitely worth playing like i said it's on it's on switch xbox one ps4 window you don't have a reason not to play it <laughs> if you have any of the modern video game systems. I had a lot of fun with this one. Now, do you know um, Holschult? I know that you have a connection in the Dallas area who is a composer. Or at least in Texas. He may not be in the Dallas area. Oh, um, you're thinking of Andrew Hickman. Yes? Daya? 
Yes, Daya. Yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Another similar another name. Andrew, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. cool. Aaron Hickman, Andrew Holschul. They're kind of similar to each other. I, I, I can see why you you get them confused, but yeah, um, they may know each other. Who knows? Yep. Who knows? Actually, Andrew Holschul started off as a metal composer, so he was doing a lot of the 3D Realms remake soundtracks. He started oh, off wow. getting hired on to do a, a Duke Nukem 3D remake, okay. which was later canceled, but they wanted a heavy metal soundtrack, so he signed on. Um, but later on, uh, when that got canned, they ended up doing a uh, Rise of the Triad remake instead, and so he composed the music for that. Um, later on, he went to work for New Blood Interactive, creating the soundtracks for Dusk and Amid Evil. And in 2018, he was hired by Bethesda for the Quake Champions OST. Oh, cool. So, yeah, that had some really heavy stuff, too. So this is a really big departure for him. He normally doesn't compose in a very electronic kind of throwback style like this. But I think he really knocked it out of the park. He's extremely versatile. That makes it even more impressive. This sounds like somebody who's been doing this for years. So Yeah, yeah. And he's got a game coming out soon, too. He's got a, he's working on a game called Pro, Pro Deus. And that should be out by the end of 2020. I haven't heard any samples from that soundtrack, so I'm not sure whether it's more electronic or more on the metal side, but I'm sure it's going to be good regardless. Well, I've heard rumors that THQ Nordic is working on a wrestling game for what is the the company that's um, that's really big now that's not WWE? Um, oh, uh, AEW or EA? AEW. I've heard that AEW might be getting an old school style, like N64 style wrestling game that's going to be made by <laughs> THQ Nordic. That would be awesome. I don't know anything for sure, but maybe they could bring him in for something like that because they, they could definitely use that kind of sound. But That would be very cool. So I think, knowing what's coming next, we're going to a very different place musically. <laughs> but still, um, all of this is still what, Shoot Kapow? Very good music. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have to say it at least once per show. And what very good music do you have? For us next. Something else that we also have to bring to the table once per show. Quite a crowded table today. (laughs) (laughs) This is Memories of Green from Chrono Trigger. Thank you. 
Alright. Drone Trigger was released in 1995 and composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. Mm-hmm. And released by Square for the SNES. Such a classic. Not a lot left to say about the game that we haven't already <laughs> said uh, several times. <laughs> or that hasn't been said before. Um, but yeah, this song. Um, Shukapau, what's... What, a, what motif is this? I've talked to you enough about light motif. You know what that is. This track is based more on the main character Chrono's theme and the title theme. And seeing as this is the starting area where Chrono and most of... Well, no, two of the other main characters live. Yeah, that makes sense. It's from his time period. I thought the map music from 1080 was Peaceful Days. So when does it change to this? Um, peaceful days is wherever you're in sort of the town area. Okay, where gotcha. Where there's like a, a lot of buildings. But this is like the wilderness of 1080. Yeah. Very cool. Very nice sound. Ed, you've played Chrono Trigger, yeah? Yeah, actually, I just uh, finished my first ever playthrough like uh, six months ago or so. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Okay, what did you think? <laughs> um, about the whole game or about this particular track? Uh, about the game, yeah. It's not not often that we get to hear a brand new perspective on it. Yeah, you know, I thought it was good. I thought it was it was rough to kind of equate the game with like the unbelievable amount of hype that everybody kind of piles on it. So yeah. I tried not to expect like beams of light like shining through my ceiling <laughs> whenever I was playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for but, sure. It's it is a a really well crafted game, and there are a lot of parts in this game that are uh, really emotional. The soundtrack obviously is hailed as being one of the best of its time and of all time, and I think the music really really fits and uh, complements the scenes that are taking place in the game. So uh, in in that respect, I really really enjoyed the game. Um, I expected it to be a little more complex and challenging. I thought it was a little more simple than I was expecting. Not that that was like a detriment to the game mm-hmm. at all. Um, but overall, I mean, I would I would probably play it again. Not right away, but I'm. it's not a game that I was like, oh, no, I finished it and I'll never have to experience this again. Like, I want to go back and play it at some point. Um, mostly because I didn't get all the endings. I kind of feel almost like that simplicity is... Uh, relative simplicity to something like Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest is one of the reasons that this game got such a big following is because Mm. it invited people even from outside of the RPG realm and almost got them invested in that whole genre because who had never really looked into it before because it's it's definitely more accessible than um, even a a game like Final Fantasy 3 slash 6 or we didn't really have Dragon Quests in the States that were coming out at the same time as this, but um, other games around the same time that were RPGs. Uh, games like Chrono Trigger and Earthbound were a lot more... They were a lot less complex. They were a lot more accessible. They were a lot shorter. <laughs> and I think that that helped. Um, but definitely what Yasunori Mitsuda did... For me, I think this is probably the most cinematic soundtrack on the SNES. In the way, like you were talking about, where the music really reflects what's going on in the game. Um, it, you've got that sort of leitmotif thing where each character has kind of their own theme that shows up in different places and is a musical callback to those sorts of elements. And it's a really cool game. 
Um, yes, Nori Matsuda, I know that uh, Shukapau has looked up some information about him, which well, I'll have him share in just a second. But one thing that's cool about having him on an international episode is that he is um, he's influenced by a lot of international music. I know one of the instruments that he likes to play most often when he plays like live BGM or something like that is the Irish bazooki, which is a stringed instrument from Ireland. He actually mm. played that on um, a tour that Yoko Shimomura did when she was doing some of the like the Kingdom Hearts stuff live. He guested at a couple of her concerts and played the Irish bazooki with her, which I would have killed to see that. That would have been amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so what have you got on Mitsuda for us? All right. Well, uh, he also took piano lessons at the age of five, like Koji Kondo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he was born in Tokoyama, Yamaguchi, Japan, which is in the uh, Chugoku region, or the southwest side of Honshu Island. Southwest Honshu, Japan. Okay, cool. I guess if you want to be a famous RPG composer, you've got to take piano lessons at the age <laughs> of five. I'm... I'm I'm 36 years yep. too late, but maybe I can go back in time and start. I know Yuzo Gashiro, I think, actually started <laughs> taking them at the age of three. Uh, I don't know when Shimomura started, but she uh, she like studied piano in college. So definitely definitely a through line there, for sure. And yeah, for sure. Shukapau, do you know um, what is so impressive about this particular score uh, where, and where it is on Yasunori Mitsuda's like, portfolio? Uh... I asked that question kind of vaguely. This was his first game. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I, that's it's amazing to me that this was his first comp. That this was his first score uh, because it's so diverse and complex and just good. It's so good. He was like 22 or 23 when he composed this, which is <laughs> you're closer to 22 than I am right now, yeah. which, which is just crazy to me. I mean, <laughs> I'm also composing for a game, and I'm 15. Yeah, that's true. It's definitely not going to be as good as Chrono Trigger. Well, you never know. You know I mean, it's it's definitely in a different style, but probably not. Chrono Trigger is a really high bar. So, yeah. <laughs> But you're doing a lot more composing, and you've definitely made a lot more music than I had at your age. So. <laughs> <laughs> we got like 40 battle themes. All right. Well, um, going in a little bit of a different direction, um, this is also for a – a game that has a very uh, – it's a big world with a big history, much, much bigger than the world of Chrono Trigger. Um, we are going to be listening to something from the Elder Scrolls series. Um, this is by the Mexican composer Maluca, uh, which is the composing name of Judith de los Santos. And the song is called Three Hearts as One. This is a vocal tune from the game The Elder Scrolls Online. We tilt Skyrim's ground despite frozen toil. We tender the Kwama beneath morrowing soil. We hunt the Wamasu in black marshes glades. We three hearts had no need for blades. And they came from the seas, folded steel in their hands. They burned down our homes and ravaged our lands. A Kaviri brought nothing but bloodshed and lies. Our families were slain before our eyes. 
depressed people, they shared a cruel joke, a choice between death or the yoke. But then our three people knew what must be done to end the oppression. A three became one, forged by war. That was Three Hearts as One from The Elder Scrolls Online, composed by Judah de los Santos, known to the internet as Maluka. This game came out in 2014 for multiple platforms once again, and it was published by Bethesda Softworks. Judah de los Santos is from Monterrey, Nuevo Leon, Mexico. And before we get into the music, I just wanted to mention she is um, a really cool story because she actually sort of came into uh, prominence, internet prominence, because of her cover version of Skyrim's song, The Dragonborn Comes. Uh, She recorded a YouTube rendition of that that went viral, was noticed by the composers for um, Elder Scrolls Online, and that is how she got this gig. And she composed a lot of the bard songs for the game because she made such a splash online with the fan base. What did you guys think of this song? I'll let you go first, Shirko, pal. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess it was vocal. It was vocal. What parts of the song stood out to you? Uh, not really any of them, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I can I can go first if you want. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. I thought it was really pretty. Um, I, I I'm normally you know I don't listen to vocal music that much at all unless it's like industrial or goth or the stuff that I you know play on my other podcast but um, I appreciated this especially because the YouTube link that you provided on the on the document for the show was a video of her playing guitar and singing herself and also whenever she harmonized with herself she would put the videos of her singing the other parts up on the screen so it was really cool to kind of see one person create a sound this big and uh and she's really really talented like that's absolutely undeniable oh yeah so even though it's not necessarily the music i like to listen to i can't deny that it's a really beautiful song that it would probably fit extremely well in this game even though i've never played it before yeah, for sure. Um, I know that uh, he has told me before, Shukabao has told me before, that he doesn't really like get into vocal music that much. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's why, why he likes BGM so much is because so little of it is vocal and the stuff that is vocal is not usually as big of a deal as the other stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I, I really do have a soft spot for this, which uh, to you guys and to our listeners is not going to come as much of a surprise. This is totally my bag. And um, the, the story of the song is really cool. I have zero experience with anything Elder Scrolls. Um, and it's mostly for the same reasons as I don't have any experience with stuff like Warcraft and uh, things like that, because I know if I got into it, my family would not see me for days. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it would totally suck me in. I know that these are like hundreds of hour games, and I just uh, I don't have that kind of time anymore these days. Maybe when I'm older, but the story of this song really does make me want to learn a little bit more. Um, did uh did you ever think of anything that you wanted to say? Uh not really. <laughs> That's all right. The the production level on this is really cool. The um the way that it sounds like she's in this big like chamber hall or something. Her voice of course, her voice is really great. Um, I was happy to showcase another female composer here, and especially one that is so young and that came from a very different... Like, she was not, as far as I know, trained on piano at the age of five. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She has two original albums that are more like pop rock or folk rock inspired. They're not in this realm at all. She's done a lot of collaborations with folks online. Her music for video games is influenced by things like Mass Effect, The Elder Scrolls, obviously, The Witcher, Halo, Destiny, movies like The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, TV shows like Game of Thrones. So she definitely likes that sort of medieval uh, swords and sorcery genre when it comes to composing for fantasy. Another cool thing about her, um, when you hear her speak, she does have uh, that sort of Mexican-tinged English accents. But when she sings like this, she sounded like she was singing with an Irish accent. Yeah, I noticed that. Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And when she sings, uh, she sings in a lot of different fantasy languages uh, in both um, The the Witcher and The Elder Scrolls uh, and for The Banner Saga, which she has done quite a bit for. She sang in either fantasy or in Icelandic, which, along with Finnish, is probably the closest we have to a fantasy language in the real world. (laughs) 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 She also sang... uh, I don't know if she did it for the actual game itself or just for a cover, but she sang the uh, Civ Four theme, Baba Yetu, in Swahili. So she's really good at singing in different languages, which um, I did a little vocal work back in college, and it's a, it's a struggle to get it down authentically. It's, it's really cool. So mad props to her. Nice. <sighs> um, but what do we have next? All right. Well, I'm going to go back another 180 degrees to some more upbeat electronic stuff. Nice. Uh, We're going to listen to a track from Horizon Chase Turbo. This is called Viper. Uh, This was composed by one of my favorite composers, Barry Leach.
All right, put down your glow sticks. That was Viper from Horizon Chase Turbo. That came out in 2018, composed by the man, Bear Leach. This game was released on Linux, Mac, the Switch, PS4, Windows, Xbox One, <laughs> Android, iOS, your refrigerator, kitchen sink, <laughs> came out of just about everything. Samsung smart fridge. <laughs> <laughs> it was developed and published by Brazilian Aquarius Game Studio SA, and uh, Barry Leach is a native of Scotland who is currently living in Ohio in the United States. So this is a very international game right here. <laughs> What'd you guys think of this track? Definitely. Now, Horizon Chase Turbo, uh, it, it goes to like different different areas, right? Kind of like the Cruisin' series? Not or... within one race, but the individual races do take place in different countries and locales, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Well, I really love the song. Um, I think my favorite section of it was the part after the two-minute mark, actually. So mm -hmm. I'm going to let this one play a little bit longer as well. Some of those earlier songs had short loops, so it'll balance out in the end. But uh, this was really good. Really good. Shukapau, you were actually saying some stuff about this one when we were recording about like the rhythm and stuff. and so Yeah, it has a really cool rhythm, melody, tempo, all that stuff. And it, for some reason, kind of reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> can you can you give us any insight as to why? I don't know. It's just kind of yeah. I, I think what what I hear that you're saying there is um, I could hear in sort of a techno or electronic remix rhythm of um, kind of a sea shanty. Yeah, I was going for the same thing too. Yeah, um, I mentioned to Ed while we were listening that it's it has sort of a some of those melodies have like a heroic soaring sweep to them, just in a different sort of instrumentation that I'm used to hearing them in. Very cool sound. Yeah. So I know that Horizon is a racing game, and I know I heard a lot about it in 2018 when it came out. Um, what is your experience with it, sir? So I was a huge fan of, well, okay, so backing up a bit, this game is kind of an, uh, an homage to the SNES racing game Top Gear, which my brother and I owned as a kid. We played to death. Um, it was like a, a split screen racing game head to head, so he and I would, would race all the time. Oh boy, um, I wish Animal Crossing New Horizons was split screen. <laughs> Nintendo, you failed at making a multiplayer game. Well, it's alright, there's always Mario Kart. Yeah, instead of instead of trying to beat each other around the track, you can beat each other with butterfly nets, so it's, it kind of balances out. But anyways, the, the original SNES Top Gear had a Barry Leach soundtrack as well, so... Uh, the game, for some reason, really took off in Brazil. Uh, the Brazilians just absolutely loved Top Gear. They loved the soundtrack. It was like the national game of Brazil for a while. <laughs> and so Aquirus is comprised of uh, a bunch of game developers who were huge fans of Top Gear and Lotus 2 and a bunch of other very similar uh, like OutRun Rad Racer style racing games. And so they decided that they were going to create a new modern take on the Top Gear style 
uh, 16-bit, 8-bit arcade racing game. And so who else to get their soundtrack done but Barry Leach, who did the soundtrack to Lotus 2 and Top Gear, two of the greatest racing game soundtracks ever made, in my opinion. Um, Barry Leach had been out of the composing business for quite a while, but they tracked him down, they asked him, uh, he originally said no, but then he finally agreed, and so he started working on this soundtrack. And the soundtrack's just absolutely amazing. He did a couple of remakes of, like, modernized versions of tracks that he had from the Lotus 2 game and Top Gear, and then composed a whole bunch of original songs, of which this is one of them. And uh, he went on tour, like, they brought him over to Brazil, and they brought him on tour, so he played music from this game for like thousands of screaming fans it, it's it's like he, he describes the whole thing as extremely surreal like he never realized that those soundtracks would have been so popular so i feel really good for him that like this like kind of like made his <laughs> made his whole career <laughs> he's got like hundreds of games to his name he started off way back on the commodore 64 the amiga the zx spectrum doing lots of games for gremlin and a whole bunch of other game companies out of the UK. Like I said, he's one of those talented guys where in interviews I've heard him say that they'll like be done with a, like a Commodore 64 game and they'll call him up and be like, Barry, this game's gonna ship tomorrow. If you have the time, can you come in and write some music within like the next 12 hours? And he'll be like, yeah, and he'll pack up, he'll go to the studio, he'll bang out some tunes overnight, and then have amazing music for the game the next day. Like, then that's literally how he composed a lot of Top Gear. And that, that music that he composed within like a 12 hour span has become ubiquitous. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, like, I, I never played Top Gear as a kid, but the music, I, I do know. Again, <laughs> probably because of you, but it's, man, it's good stuff. Could you imagine Shukapau as a composer yourself having to hammer something out in 12 hours like that? Like, a song or a game? A song. Well, the whole soundtrack. Um, oh, yeah, a whole a soundtrack whole to sound a game. <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> I don't have a very good work ethic <laughs> yeah you don't go back and really touch up your songs too much after you're done with one and they would also all have to sound like this like this well polished yeah it would also all have to sound like this <laughs> <laughs> well i have three songs right up here that i'm working on so oh that you're tinkering with yeah oh you three completed songs took my advice and you're starting to go back to some stuff that's cool that's, that's an evolution from from creation to revision that's that's definitely a it's a hard step to take sometimes yeah but man this was this was really cool and i love how you were um we're bringing a real diversity of tracks tonight because we went to such different areas i like that there's going to be something on this playlist for everybody so yeah for sure and if you are a fan of this tune you want to hear more about barry leach and his involvement with horizon chase turbo um my good friend brian mosley his uh, vgm podcast pixelated audio um brian's actually a really good friend of barry leach and so oh, really? they had him on for like the whole show for like a whole two hours they they he he was on as basically a co-host playing songs from horizon chase and kind of talking about his his composition process so i'm not sure which episode number it was but if you just go to pixelated audio's website and just search for horizon chase it'll definitely yeah come up and it's a it's a fantastic show where he talks all about how he how he made the soundtrack and a lot of his past involvement like all, all the information i just gave about top gear and lotus too like that 
I learned all that from that show. So it was really good. Pixelated audio. I, I've, I've learned a lot from their show too. They really get into, I, I kind of think about what different podcasts bring to the table in the VGM scene. Mm-hmm. And they really go all in with the research and uh, the backgrounds of different like composers and different games and stuff. And I love that about their show. And that was a really good episode, the one you were talking about. But I definitely encourage anybody who who hasn't heard them before to go check out Pixelated Audio. They um one of my favorite episodes they did was the one where they actually went to the Library of Congress, right? And put on like a panel there about the history of video game music. I was there for that. Yeah, that was that was phenomenal. (laughs) Oh man, that's amazing. They had a Austin Wintry was there. Oh, yeah. Um, he was the composer of uh, Journey and a lot of other different really popular mm-hmm. games. So, yeah, that was that was a great time. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Actually, reminds me, I meant to mention on um, the last track when I was talking about Maluka, um, another video game music podcast called The Sound Test, which is a British uh, podcast run by Lee Tyrrell. He actually did an interview with... Jason Graves. He was interviewing Jason Graves, um, and they talked about a lot of the stuff Mm. that Graves had composed for, but he was evidently involved with some of the Elder Scrolls stuff, and he talked about the story of how Maluka came on um, and kind of joined the team there. But Lee does a lot of composer interviews on his show. They're really, really cool. He's interviewed all kinds of folks. Um, He's interviewed Austin Wintry. Uh, He's interviewed, oh, the the Ori and the Blind Forest dude. Uh... I'm I'm so not great with a lot of these names. Mm, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one either. Uh, but, but he's inter- he's interviewed the whole the whole uh, rare team. Um, uh, David Wise, Grant Kirkhope, um, Graham Norgate, Ellen Fisher, uh, Evelyn Novakovic. Now, yeah, Graham Norgate. He he's interviewed a lot of those guys. Um, great podcast. I would also encourage y'all to check him out as well. Uh, and speaking of. Grant Kirkhope. Speaking of which. Look at that. I did a segue, Shukapa. <laughs> Speaking of Grant Kirkhope, what do you have for us next? I've got some Kirkhopian music. This is from Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. <laughs> All right. And the song is? Mad Monster Mansion. All right. Let's get into it.
and that was Mad Monster Mansion from Banjo-Kazooie, remixed for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate for the Nintendo Switch. Banjo-Kazooie was released in 1998, composed by Grant Kirkhope, and released by Rare and Nintendo. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate was released by Nintendo and Bandai Namco in 2018. <laughs> Did I... Say what platform Bidjo Kazooie is on? I'm kind well, of confused. Everybody pretty much knows. Yeah, you're doing a lot of stuff on this one, so uh, yeah, it's fine. We'll I don't bear remember with you. sounding like this on the N64. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Oh, yeah, N64 was Banjo Kazooie, and you're right. Definitely did not sound like this on the N64. Uh, who made it sound like this on the Switch? Who was the remixer here? Uh, the remix was arranged by Michiko Naruke. Well, first. Talk about the music. Why did you pick Mad Monster Mansion out of all of the other Smash Banjo-Kazooie stuff? Because I love it. This <laughs> remix really stands out to me among pretty much all of them in Smash Ultimate. If Frizzy Peak had gotten a remix, it probably would have made this list, but it didn't because it's so good already. <laughs> okay, yeah. This is this is a really strong remix. It's got a different feel from the original, for sure. Yep. Um, you've never played Banjo-Kazooie. Well, I have. I've played a little bit on an emulator. Oh, okay. I got to Treasure Trove Cove, but then it just lagged too much, especially when Smacker <laughs> showed up. Well, <laughs> one of one of these days, we'll we'll have to get our hands on it somehow. I uh, did not do what a lot of my um, sort of contemporaries in the VGM podcasting scene did and actually hold on to my retro consoles, which I kick myself for every day now. But <laughs> um, I spent quite a bit of time with this game back in the day. Uh, for my money, it is better than Mario 64, um, which is a little bit controversial. Mario 64 definitely made a bigger impact. Uh, it was the first of its kind, uh, kind of like the original Super Mario Bros. Um, it, was, it was a groundbreaker. But this game... It, it had it had more diversity to it, for sure. And the soundtrack is no exception to that. Uh, Kirk Cope really knocked it out of the park with this one. Um, did uh, did you have any experience, uh, personal experience with Banjo-Kazooie, Ed? Um, I did. I So, I was not really into the N64 uh, when it was out and new. I was like... 20, 21 years old. I was I was really much more into the stuff on the PS1. I was a little grittier, a little more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really trying to distance myself from like the cutesy platformers at this point. So, um, <laughs> yeah, for that age range, that makes sense. Yeah. I was still I was still junior high, high school. Um, you've got three or four years on me, so yeah, that it's amazing how um, much that how much difference that will make too. Now, 98, I was 16, so definitely in high school, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. If I had been in college at this time, Banjo-Kazooie probably would not have been on my repertoire. So. Yeah, I have, I have a younger brother who's like two and a half, three years younger than me, so he was much more into the N64 stuff than I was, so I would watch him play a lot because we shared a bedroom, so sometimes, you know, I'd come home from school or whatever and he'd be down there you know, playing the N64. So I, I had a lot of secondhand experience with N64 games, but I don't think aside from like maybe Beetle Adventure Racing and a couple of other uh, more obscure N64 titles, I didn't really play any of the like the rare games or anything like that. Beetle Adventure Racing is truly a hidden gem. Like to anybody who I talk to about that game, I describe what it is to them. And they're like, seriously? <laughs> it's so good. It- <laughs> it was so good. It's such a good racing game. It's Beetle. Uh, it's, it's Volkswagen Beetles. I have a. About, I, I, I have an EverDrive for my N64, but the only cartridge for a real game that I have is Beetle Adventure Racing. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, <laughs> that I mean, is the, so cool. 
The concept kind of reminds me of Uniracers. <laughs> or at least what I've heard about it. It takes Uniracers. a very unique vehicle and it makes a whole game out of it. Yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> well, what did you have on us for uh, Mr. Kirkhope and for uh, Michiko Naruke? All right. Well, Kirkhope was born in Edinburgh. That's Edinburgh. Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, just, just Scotland. You got to speak Scottish. <laughs> and he taught himself to play guitar at age 11. Man, all of these people have played instruments. From a really young age. You yeah. need to get cracking. <laughs> from from a young age. Anyway, continue. Younger <laughs> From a younger age than you. <laughs> I mean, I learned to play trumpet in sixth grade. That's true. That's true. Is that is true. Like three years ago. I don't know. I mean, I was only one year older than Mr. Turco. <laughs> That's true. And that there is you go, really so you're on your way. I interrupted um, you, though. And Naruke was born in the Chiba Prefecture, the Kanto region of Japan. <laughs> so you get to talk about Pokemon a little bit. <laughs> it was a large area in the Honshu Island, and is also... The caves are populated by a lot of Zubats. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, Naruke is known for his works in the Super Smash Bros. series and the Wild Arms games. I'm going to do something we don't do very often because I'm on a more powerful computer right now than I usually am. And I am going to Google something while we're recording. I, I thought so. Machiko, I thought, was a more feminine name. So Machiko Naruke actually is a female composer, uh, which we did not know. But now we do. And she has, uh, yeah, like you said, did a lot of work for the Wild Arm series. So, um, which, again, speaking of international, Wild Arms is a very Western-themed uh, JRPG series. I said he didn't I? You did, but you didn't know, and that's that's kind of that is kind of what we default to. But we like to we like to be specific here. So, male composer, female arranger, who is a talented composer in her own rights, and yeah, very cool song. Thank you for bringing that to the table. Well, I'm excited about my next pick. I think of all of the songs that I am bringing tonight, this one, Ed, is probably the one that you are going to get the biggest kick out of. Mm. Uh, it's from a game that I know nothing at all about, from a composer who I had never heard of before. <laughs> uh, but it sounds like a, an intriguing game, for sure. And the composer has a really cool story as well. I'm intrigued. From the point-and-click adventure game, The Last Express, this is Pursuit.
Okay, and The Last Express was composed by Czech composer Ilya Smirol. That last name spelled C-M-I-R-A-L. This game was released for Windows, Mac OS, and MS-DOS, and was developed by Smoking Car Productions. Developed, produced, one or the other of those two. Um, this was an adventure video game designed by Jordan Mechner and, okay, developed by Smoking Car Productions, produced by Broderbund in 1997, which I believe is a Swedish publishing company. I know it's Nordic in some way. I think it's Swedish. Um, I think you're right, yeah. Very briefly, players take on the role of an American who accepts an invite via friend to join them on the Orient Express days before the start of World War One, only to become in Involved in a maelstrom of treachery, lies, political conspiracies, personal interests, romance, and murder upon boarding the train. Uh, it has a non-linear story. Um, events in the game are conducted in real time, uh, so definitely invites multiple playthroughs. It was apparently a commercial disappointment on its release, but it was very well reviewed. Uh, there was a port for the PlayStation in development, but it was canceled before it was finished. Um, eventually, there was a portable version released for iOS and Android. Uh, there was a release remade for Steam called The Last Express Golden Edition. Um, interestingly, in 2001, uh, Dutch film composer Paul Verhoeven confirmed that he was working with Mechner to develop a film adaptation of the game uh, that was going to be filmed in 3D. At the time, he said it would not be his immediate next project, and since it's been nine years, I don't know if it ever actually got off the ground. <laughs> but it sounds like it would be an interesting story. Um, before I get into the composer, since I've already talked quite a bit, uh, Ed, what did you think of this one? So... Um the music kind of took me by surprise, honestly. I remember this game from a... It was a game review that I saw on YouTube. I think it was maybe GameSack or something. They were doing adventure games. I don't remember exactly who it was, but the game looked really, really cool. And as soon as you said Jordan Mechner, that what that's what brought back all of the memories of it because I remember that all the animation is rotoscoped. Like, they took live actors... And they traced over it so that, like, a lot of oh, the, yeah. like, old Disney films, like Snow White, so the movements look very, very realistic, very smooth and natural animations. Um, and it just looked like a really, really classic, like, American, probably, like, you know, 50s, 60s kind of, of movie production or animated movie production. And so when I, when the music started, and you get that really mechanical, kind of almost industrial mm-hmm. baseline. Uh, it just did not fit the <laughs> the image of <laughs> World War One Orient Express, and so I was like trying to rectify the two. Like, how does this fit into this? So now, learning what you said about the description of the game and how there's a lot of intrigue and like probably some spy work going mm-hmm. on and and that kind of stuff, I, I feel like that's probably how it fits more. That this is a kind of a very stealthy kind of a song where maybe you're trying not to get noticed by somebody that you're you know a suspect in a crime or something like that. So that makes more sense to me. But I really enjoyed it. I really liked that. Like I said, juxtaposition between that really mechanical kind of 
uh, bass line with the strings and the more orchestral mm-hmm. pieces over it. So really yeah. cool. Yeah, I thought that you would like this. It sounded like something that, um, as you and I have discussed before, I don't have a lot of experience in this realm. But when I heard it, it sounded like something that wouldn't be too out of place on your uh, your other podcast, The Arcane Machine. Um, mm. And so that's why I decided to leave it on the list. I thought it was uh, something that might be up your alley. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so, Smirol was born in Czechoslovakia on October first, uh, back at 1950, back when it was Czechoslovakia before it split into Slovakia and the Czech Republic. Um, and his uh, he was the grandson of one of Antonin Dvorak's pupils. Uh, Dvorak was a is a classical composer. Um, anybody who knows anything about that scene will recognize that name. Um, his most famous work is probably his Ninth Symphony, which is called the New World Symphony. But Dvorak was the first major Czech composer to get uh, worldwide recognition, um, and he was notable for marrying sort of the classical traditions of like Bach, Mozart and Wagner, who is he was a big fan of, with traditional Czech sounds. He was one of the first composers on the world stage to take classical music and cultural, like local cultural music, and sort of blend the two sounds together to make a new sound. And I feel like Smirl kind of does that same thing, like you were saying, with this, where he blends that sort of um, pseudo-industrial uh, newer like Euro sound with the strings. Um, he he attended the Prague Conservatory where he studied composition and double bass. Then he moved to the Sweden where he composed for a number of European films and uh, television shows and stage productions. Then moved to, to the United States where he attended the University of Southern California and scored for independent uh, an independent film entitled Apartment Zoo. So he's been several different places, studied at several different places. Um, he is best known for his work in the horror and thriller film genres. So a little bit of a connection to Mad Monster Mansion there, Shukapel. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he composed for films like Ronin, Bones, uh, Stigmata, um, and Piranha 3D, <laughs> among some <laughs> other ones. And uh, yeah, so his only other video game credit was the third-person shooter Spec Ops The Line. Um and yeah, he still composes for American and also Swedish and Czech films. And uh, yeah, he so he seems to have worked mostly with 2K, who was the like, I think they were involved with the remake of this game a few years ago. But okay, cool. Yeah, so another European name here. It's funny because I, I don't know. I this sounds very gamey to me like even though it's orchestral that that the the tone of it and the fact that it has more of a distinguished melody and it's not so much like a free time kind of a sweeping piece really led me to believe that this guy was probably like a strict video game music composer so i was kind of surprised to learn that he's actually much more into film than he is games so i'd like to hear some of his film stuff and see how much difference he has between like the game stuff and the movie stuff yeah i could definitely hear this sound in in a thriller but probably not so much in a horror movie yeah so yeah that, that, that would be, it would be interesting to hear where he goes with that um Shukapel? 
Anything to uh, to add? Um, eh, I guess it just really fits the style of the game. Yeah, from what we described. Yeah. Very cool. So he definitely, uh, he I think he hit the note he was trying to hit with this one. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned there are some industrial sort of sounds in there, things uh, like something you might hear in a factory almost. Yeah, kind of a clanking uh, percussion there a little bit. Yeah. That actually kind of reminds me, looking at our playlist, of the song that you have coming up next, sir. I don't know what you mean. The song is only called Factory Beat, and it's from the game Lost Vikings. This was released in 1993. This is the SNES version of the soundtrack. It also did come out on the Amiga, the Amiga CD32, DOS, Game Boy Advance, Genesis, and Windows. Uh, This was composed by the Dutch composer Charles Deenan. That was Factory Beat from The Lost Vikings from 1993, composed by Bell Biv, De- I mean, Charles Deenan. <laughs> that came out on the SNES in, like I said, 1993. There was also versions with different soundtracks on the Amiga, Game Boy Advance, Genesis, Windows, and DOS. That uh, was developed by Silicon and Synapse and Interplay, and I believe this one was also published by Blizzard, depending on the region that you are yeah. in. I know they currently own the Lost Vikings, uh, don't they? Uh, Lost Vikings, uh, still Blizzard. Yeah, I think I think they do. So I know they um, haven't made one in a while. But yeah, I uh, I'm not sure if there have been. There's only been one sequel to this game, if I remember. Um, and that was on like the Saturn only Boing. in 1997. <laughs> but I know Blizzard did that one too. Anyways, what'd you guys think of this track? Well, I liked it a lot. It, it brought this game back for me. I owned this on the Genesis, uh, so I remember the bass being a little bit chunkier. Um, but <laughs> but uh, this one was really, really cool. Um, what about you, Chukapau? Mm. I know you have no experience with this game, so what did you think of the song? Um, yeah, this is a pretty good song. Didn't really stand out to me much, though. I liked the snare drum. I composed with the snare drum a lot. 
Yeah, you do like to compose with a snare drum. This did have a nice snare drum. I don't remember that on the Genesis, but um, I also liked the uh, the guitar a lot. Kind of wailed a couple of times. <laughs> Could you see this fitting in a factory stage? Uh, I mean, I guess I kind of preferred the Kirby 64 one. <laughs> Kirby 64 Factory is a pretty famous theme. but uh, yeah, That is a good yeah. theme, yeah. But yeah, so Ed, why don't you talk a little bit to, so that Shukapau knows what kind of game this was, the style of gameplay and everything, because I think that he would like it. Yeah, for sure. So this is kind of an action-adventure game. It's a side-scroller where three Vikings, like the title says, they get lost. They are abducted by aliens. Uh, they get lost on the alien ship and end up having to travel to a whole bunch of different time periods to get back to their village. And it's a lot of teamwork, so you're switching back and forth between, uh, I think, Olaf, Eric, and Baliog, I think, were the three names of the Vikings, and they each have their own abilities. So, like, one can jump really high, one has the ability to, like, smash through um, uh, doorways and stuff, uh, the other one can work machines, so you really have to kind of... Almost like lemmings, like get one guy to do one thing while you can climb up through a duct and then open the door from the other side so the other guys who are, who are too big to climb through the duct can get through. Um, a lot of teamwork, a lot of figuring out how to do stuff. It's a really fun game and it's kind of a brain teaser at the same time. So uh, one of the first games of its time too. So there's a lot of games like that nowadays, but this one really kind of, I think, innovated that whole design aspect of... of having a side-scrolling game that wasn't just kind of a hack-and-slash or a shoot-em-up kind of a thing. Does that sound, sound, like, sound like something you'd like, Shoot Kapow? I think, yeah, I think the closest thing that uh, you probably played to this... But let me see, did that remind you of any game that you have played, what he was talking about? Um, I guess action-adventure side-scroller kind of Hollow Knight? Well, but this game is more, there's some strategy involved where you have like one guy doing one thing, another guy doing another thing, and you got to kind of keep track of them both doing stuff at the same time. Yeah, it's a lot more puzzle and a lot less action. What does that remind you of? Because um, I'm I thinking Zelda, it, it's top down, but I'm thinking Pikmin. Yeah. Yeah. There's yep. strategy involved yep. with that where you have like one team going over here and one team going over here and you have to kind of keep track of them. It's a different, definitely a different uh, interface, but same same sort of like puzzly premise. But yeah, that was really, really cool. I liked yeah. it a lot. Um, and then the music, like I remember renting this when I was a kid and the music just absolutely blowing me away. Like I'd never mm -hmm. heard music this good <laughs> on the Super <laughs> Nintendo before. Yeah, this um, was really good for Super Nintendo sound. A lot of the instruments on the SNES were uh, not, not the best, <laughs> especially yeah. for this kind of music. Um, really, I, when I thought of this kind of music, even back in the day, I, I always pictured the Genesis doing better stuff with this. But yeah, this was really impressive. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it's so kind of accurate to the the new jack swing genre. Even those like like those Bobby Brown like bass like brrr, like mm -hmm. little twirls there. Yep. <laughs> um, he, he did a really good job of kind of re replicating that on the SNES hardware. And one little trivia fact about this one is, um, Bedroth, I'm, I'm sure you're with with using SNES music. You're kind of familiar with like the SPC format now where you it's like a like a basically an snes sound file that you can use to convert into yes different formats to to listen to this is one of the only games that's not compatible with that format because hmm. 
um, what Charles Deenan did, th these songs have so many instruments and it takes up so much memory that an individual song is more memory than the SNES sound chip can fit at once. <laughs> so he actually wow. uses some coding tricks to load and unload audio samples as the song is playing to free up memory. So it goes completely outside of the norms of what most SNES music uses, which is really cool. There's only a couple, I think this one and Star Ocean are the only two games that really do um, kind of trickery like that. And Star Ocean actually Star has some Ocean. vocals that go along <laughs> with the music to kind of fit it in. Star Ocean music's good. Which is pretty cool. Um, the reason behind that is that Charles Deenan is kind of a, a really talented coder, as well as a uh, composer. So he hails from Hothis, Denmark, and he was one of the world's first demo sceners. He wrote his own sound driver for the Commodore Pet in 1983 when he was just 13 years old. Oh, cool. He became friends with demo sceneer and game composer Yoro Intel in 1987, and together they founded the Maniacs of Noise, which is one of the first, most popular, and most talented collections of chiptune artists ever assembled in. 1990, he was hired by Virgin Interactive and he moved to the States, where he was quickly recruited by Interplay, who was making games for Virgin. And so he wrote the soundtracks for Fallout 1 and 2, Out of This World, this game, Lost Vikings 2, I'm sorry, this game, Lost Vikings, and Descent 2. Uh, he worked there for about 13 years or so, and in 2003, he moved to Canada to work with Electronic Arts and he was a sound director on the Need for Speed series until 2013. After that, he left and became a freelancer. Uh, and now he gives lectures on game audio and is also a professional photographer, as well as uh, doing more sound directing and game compositions. So really talented guy, a lot of really popular titles under his belt. Um, and just Maniacs of Noise is one of my favorite demo scene groups of all time. Your own tell is a phenomenally yeah. talented composer. So you've talked about a uh, many acts of noise on uh, a couple of your shows. I know you've mentioned them on the VG embassy. Uh, you and Brian, who you mentioned before from pixelated audio also talked about them on your uh, impulse project podcast. Um, uh, Absolutely. Yep. They, I mean, there would, probably wouldn't be a demo scene if it weren't for maniacs of noise. They, they kind of throw the grandfathers of, of the demo scene for, from what I'd gather. And I know back at that time, especially with uh, Western composers, you pretty much had to be both a coder and a composer to do this stuff. Um, I, I forget the name of the guy who composed for uh, Maniac Mansion on the NES, but he was, he was, a, he was similar. Um, oh, George Sanger. Yeah. George Sanger. Uh, of course, yep. also the Fallens. Um, uh, you can't really talk about, you know, coming up with your own, sound driver and uh, equipment to make the sound that you're making without bringing the fallens into it. That's kind of what they were famous <laughs> for. So, um, but yeah, very, very cool. Um, and that's, that's a whole, a whole scene I would love to get more into in um, the episode that everybody's actually going to hear um, next time in two weeks, uh, which is about um not really religious music, but games that had sort of religious themes and music from those games. Uh, I have another, a buddy of mine coming on that show. I play a song from a C64 game called Rusty, and that is the only time I think I've ever played anything from 
a system like that. But I would love to bring on more C64, Sharp X68000, Amiga, um, because I'm just not as well versed in that scene. And that's what I like about shows like, like yours and like, um, Michael Bridgewater's, um, uh, Forever Sound Version podcast because there's a lot more of that stuff on there. And it's really, really, really good mm-hmm. stuff. The Commodore 64 has one of my favorite sound chips of all time. So any, uh, any, any, uh, direction you need and, and, Wanting somebody to point you towards some good music, give me a shout and I'll be happy to help. Well, maybe that would be a good uh, excuse to get you back on sometime. Absolutely, <laughs> sure. But yeah, the C64 and those um, those systems have a very different sound from the Japanese sound back in the day, which is going to bring us back to Shukapau and your last song of the evening, which is, again, by a Japanese composer who I have already mentioned on this show a couple of times. What do we have next, son? All right. For my last pick, we have some Yoko Shimomura. All right. Can never go wrong with Yoko. (laughs) This is from Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, Tough Guy Alert. Okay, so that was Tough Guy Alert from Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, released in 2009 by Alpha Dream for the Nintendo DS and composed by Yoko Shimomura. Published by Nintendo, but yeah, developed by Alpha Dream, who sadly has closed their doors lately, which puts the future of this series in some, some question, but... This is a fun little series. Um, I have only dabbled in them. Uh, Bowser's Inside Story seems to be the fan favorite. But yeah, Shimomura, so great. Um, out of her whole vast catalog, uh, why did you pick this song, bud? <laughs> well, I just, like, this track is so fun and bouncy. It's, it is I just that. really like it for this, you know, Mario and Luigi game. It just feels... Sort of like some of the Mario RPG games should feel like, I guess. (laughs) Which makes sense. Uh, You think Mario RPGs, you think Yoko Shimomura. She Mm -hmm. was the composer for the first one, so... (laughs) Um, It was really cool. That's my favorite part of the Mario and Luigi series, is that she continued to compose on it. Um, 
But yeah, what, what did you find out about Ms. Shimamura that you can share with us for this episode? Shimamura also took piano lessons around four or five, and Wikipedia says that she enjoys lounge-style jazz. Very cool. I can see that. <laughs> uh, she was born in the Hyogo Prefecture um, in Honshu, Japan, in the Kansai region, or the southern central area of Honshu. Okay. Very cool. What do you think is the most uh, international game that Shimamura has composed for? Um... I think Ed might know where I'm going with this. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, sir. Uh, would it be Street Fighter 2 that you're thinking of? That would be the one I'm thinking of, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Shukapau has a very um, high sensitivity to stereotype in-game music. We actually encountered a uh, koala on Animal Crossing today named Ozzy, who um, had definitely in the way that he spoke an Australian accent. And he said, mm. well, he's a stereotype, but I like him anyway. And I tried to explain that country stereotypes are not as problematic as ethnic stereotypes. Right. Street Fighter 2 probably towed that line a little bit, if not outright crossing it a few times. But that was an early composition for Shimamura too, kind of like uh, um, Chrono Trigger was for Asnori Mitsuda. And I think she, she did a pretty good job with that of... Uh, I mean, the, the Marcotta Bros have talked about maybe some of the dubious authenticity of some of the songs, like Dalzim's theme. Changing keys, yeah, 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 that was mm -hmm. yeah, something that Indian music never, ever does. Right, but she did a, did a good job of evoking the sounds, if not outright, uh, actually like right. making an authentic rendition of them. But she's definitely a diverse composer, uh, definitely fits on a very good music playlist. Ed, do you have uh, anything really to say about uh, Shimamura or about this series or... About this song. I think we talked a little bit about her on the episode we did together. I think you picked a track from her. and I did. I picked uh, from Kingdom Hearts, the, yeah. the main theme. Right, right. And, um, you know, like I said then, too, um, Shimamura's work doesn't really grab me that much. Like, I absolutely love the Street Fighter II soundtrack. It was, like, the soundtrack of my late childhood. So those songs are absolutely ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. Um her more modern stuff doesn't really isn't really composed in a style that I I guess appreciate that much or I'm drawn to. I really like this particular track though because it's fun and bouncy. And I think a lot of her stuff is kind of melodramatic and I'm not saying that in a bad sense. I'm just saying that it's very sweepy, it's very emotional and I like a more higher energy kind of a dancey tune as you've probably heard from <laughs> what I've been picking over the yeah. the course of this show. <laughs> um but this really had that kind of a classic video gamey, almost like a Kirby kind of feel. So I really appreciated this one, maybe a little bit more than some of her other works. Um, I don't have much experience with this particular game. When I bought my 3DS, I got the Mario and Luigi edition, which came with Dream Team. So I played a lot of that one, which was really good. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this one is probably a little bit similar, but not in 3D. They're all similar in that you um, control Mario and Luigi kind of independently. This one was fun in that you also got to control Bowser for a lot of the game. Oh, neat. Um, it's called Bowser's Inside Story because at some point, Mario and Luigi shrink and end up inside of Bowser. And so they're fighting through 
like trying to beat these uh, like germs or something that are trying to beat Bowser from the inside bat, bat, while bat, he bat, is bat, trying bat, to take bat, back. Bat, 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 bat. Yes, they're playing Dr. Mario for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> while he is uh, in the overworld trying to win his castle back from this game's big bad. And Interesting. So you, yeah, you kind of go back and forth between Talk them. about multitasking. For sure. <laughs> yeah, back to uh, Lost Vikings there a little bit. Lots of multitasking <laughs> involved. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, she uh, Shimomura does have a lot more of the big sweeping orchestral stuff in things like Kingdom Hearts, uh, Radiant Historia, Final Fantasy XV, which she actually was pretty heavily involved in. But she is able, kind of like... Um, uh, Yuzo Koshiro comes to mind who is able to go back and forth from things like Streets of Rage to things like Etrian Odyssey um, right. and is kind of able to sort of straddle both uh, both worlds. A lot of Japanese composers, I think of Koji Kondo when I think of that, uh, Nobuo Uematsu is able to do a lot of that as well. That they can, they can kind of go back and forth into those different areas. Her Mario and Luigi stuff Definitely, and Mario RPG stuff is definitely in that more bouncy sort of sort of area. I guess the soundtrack that would probably be closest to um, something I don't know. Have you ever heard her work in Parasite Eve? Um, maybe when the game was new, but I don't I don't recall it. Yeah, that was back in '98. Um, yeah, and I feel like it would be probably the closest or like the most distinct of any of her work. It's the least like anything else that she has done. So you might check that out. See if, um, see what you think of that. Interesting. Yeah. I will. Okay. Let me take a look at my list here. And I guess that's going to come to my last song of the night, which is one of the ones that was the coolest find for me. Um, this is, uh, I had never heard of this studio. They're, they've been around for a little while, but this is um, a relatively new game. Um, this is from the African studio, Kiro'o Games. Actually, they're from uh, Cameroon, specifically. And I'll have a little bit to say about Cameroon, because the country itself has some, some interesting history here. Uh, this, the game is called Aurion, Legacy of the Kori Odan, and the song is called Forest of Torment.
All right, and composed by James Thorley with sound direction and sound design by Jean-Yves Basanga. That was Forest of Torment from Aurion Legacy of the Kore Odan, released in 2016 for Windows and PS4 and developed by Kiro'o Games. What did you gentlemen think of that? That was um, a very interesting piece. <laughs> what was interesting about it to you? I don't know, I guess just the, um, I guess just the instrumentation and the rhythm. Yeah, definitely. I like the rhythm for a distinctive rhythm. How about you, Ed? Yeah, uh, rhythm and percussion was the first thing that hit me. Um, at least, you know, most of the African music that I'm familiar with is very percussive based. And um, usually the melody is kind of secondary to the percussion. And so that really fit the bill for the first, I guess, like third of this track. And I really liked how the vocalizations were percussive as well. They were almost kind of like little arpeggiated vocals in the in in, in the background, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and then it really took a, a turn, uh, like like you said, it, it it had a bunch of different parts, and it almost turned into like this kind of rock piece with this really nice solo guitar part over it, and then kind of settled into more of a I, I think it was like a synthesized orchestra, but it was like more of like a, a cinematic orchestral piece. So. From where it began to where it ended were very interesting and different places. I don't, um, I, I don't know if I've ever heard all three of those genres of music kind of lumped together before, but the transitions <laughs> were really good. It really did keep the same tone, even though it was uh, different genres of music. So I really liked the way it played out. Yeah, this it, um, I couldn't have said any of that better myself. Um, that was. This whole soundtrack was really cool. I I ended up on this one because it had all of those different sort of areas in it. I thought the diversity of the track would sort of echo the diversity of the episode really well. Mm. The composer, James Thorley, is a freelance composer and sound designer based in the north of England. Um, he's worked on uh, titles from several different platforms uh, – uh, several small budget indie dev projects and also some larger titles. Uh, you can check him out on his website. Just Google James Orley Composer and you will find him. He has a comprehensive knowledge of lots of different musical styles, a unique ear for melody, composition, and atmosphere, which you can definitely hear in this song. Uh, he talked about how in this game... Um, he mentioned that it's notable for being the first major video game to come out of Africa and that he felt very fortunate to be able to contribute to the development of the game, being able to compose with traditional African instruments and blend them with modern synth sounds. He said it was an incredibly rewarding experience, all of that from his website. Uh, Jean-Yves Basanga uh, is the co-founder and sound designer for Kiro Games. Most of the details I found on him was in French. Um, the Republic of Cameroon is actually a Central African country. It was originally home to several different people, such as the Sao and the Baka. It was colonized by Germany in 1884. It was then divided between England and France as part of Germany having to pay, pay back everything they did after World War I, um, and that it became an independent nation in 1960. So actually similar to Canada, there is a big English contingent and French contingent in Cameroon right now. It's often referred to as Africa in miniature because it has a lot of geological and cultural diversity. 
Fun fact, it is called Cameroon because it was first discovered by Portuguese explorers. Cameroon, similar to Camarones in Spanish, means shrimp because apparently there is a river going through Cameroon that is uh, heavy laden with shrimp. So there you go. (laughs) But this sounds like a pretty cool game as well. It's an action role-playing game. and the story, basically, you control Enzo Kori Odan, who is the prince of Zama. Uh, he is betrayed by his fiance's brother. It's based on several different sort of um, scrapped together African mythologies and cultures. A little bit similar to Wakanda in uh, Black Panther that way. Um, but they visit other countries seeking help to defeat the the usurper. Um, he and his fiance are seeking help to defeat her treacherous brother. So sounds like a cool, very classic story that a lot of people could get into, but with a lot of cultural elements that are very unique to um, African culture, which uh, I thought was really really cool, and I was happy to be able to bring that to the table tonight. Yeah, for sure. I want to check this one out. It sounds really cool. And I think that that's going to bring us to your last track of the evening, Ed. So what have you got before we uh, get to our closeout track? Yes, so this is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time, and I'm happy to be able to close out the show with it. This is a track called Heatwave from Bionic Commando Rearmed. This was released in 2008, composed by Swedish gentleman Simon Vickland.
All right, that was Heat Wave from Bionic Commando Rearmed, released in 2008. That came out on the PS3, Windows, and Xbox 360, composed by Simon Vickland from Sweden. And uh, this was an arrangement of Harumi Fujita's original Bionic Commando arcade soundtrack, which was then arranged by Junko Tamiya for the NES version, and then Simon Vicklin took it and remixed that version. So there's three different hands in this particular track right here. What would you, you guys think of it? Nice. Uh, Junko Tamiya and Harumi Fujita, who are both um, definitely well-known uh, composers, especially for Capcom. Harumi Fujita actually having composed on Mega Man 3, a couple of tracks. Yes, absolutely. Man. Um, so I mentioned to you early on in the show that I specifically intentionally did not listen through to your tracks because I wanted to have kind of have them fresh on my mind for the show. This one was the exception because when it started, I couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> this this is my favorite. Of, I've liked them all, but this is my favorite of the tracks that you have brought to the awesome. show tonight. It's so, so dang good. I think, like I said, with some of the, the like techno synth um, sounds, uh, especially the way they're sprinkled in, it reminds me of something that Alberto Gonzalez might have done. Mm-hmm. The the driving just just rhythm with the the bass and the drum kits, it just ah, it's just, it's so good, so good. I love it so much. What about you, Shukapa? It was pretty interesting. The the bass and stuff. Mm-hmm. The melody was pretty cool. Well, I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah, I like the melody on here too. This is a little bit harder than um, what Shukapal usually gravitates toward, but um, for me, I mean that that's in my wheelhouse. This uh, I would have listened to um, like mainstream stuff that sounded like this back when I was in high school and college. Yeah, exactly. This is this is what I guess would fall under the uh, big beat moniker of electronic music, um, mainly made popular by the Prodigy. Mm-hmm. Kind of a very hard hitting electronic sound with some very uh, like organic sounding. Uh, drum kits with electronics over it. And I really like how he arranged this particular track, how he takes those NES square waves and just kind of crunches them, and you get those really like mm-hmm. uh, repetitive arpeggios just made up of the NES sounds, but he just really twists them into something very hard-hitting. And, and a lot of filtering, too, where they'd kind of like fade into the distance, and then he'd crank it back up again. So he just did a lot of really cool stuff with this uh, particular track that I really liked. I um, I was a huge fan of the NES Bionic Commando as a kid. I mean, I've talked about this on my podcast and several other podcasts over the years, but it still remains as one of my favorite games of all time. And the soundtrack was good, but I it wasn't really, I never really considered it one of my favorite soundtracks. It might have just been because I listened to it so much that it just felt like the musical version of A Glass of Water. <laughs> it was just like so <laughs> ubiquitous for me. But when Bionic Commando Rearmed was announced, I was like over the moon because I, Bionic Commando was not really talked about that much in like game magazines and my friends like nobody really knew it existed Mm -hmm. and so i felt like personally validated (laughs) when (laughs) when they announced behind a commander rearm i was like oh my god this game is getting some attention like i'd always wished that there would have been like a 16-bit sequel yeah that's how i feel about tales of symphonia yeah exactly that's how i feel about boy and his blob (laughs) when the remake (laughs) for that was announced it was like yeah it is cool when a hidden gem is validated for you yeah, for sure. And and so I was like ravenously following the development blog on 
the Banda Kamino rearmed website, and they started leaking not not leaking, but they started releasing samples mm-hmm. of the soundtrack as Vicland was completing them. And I just remember listening to these <laughs> soundtracks and was like literally eyes bugging out of my head. I was like, oh my god, this is music that I am like intimately familiar with, done in a style of music that is like one of my favorite styles. And it was just like the perfect combination. So I like bought this album as soon as it came out on iTunes and it was like looped in my car infinitely over and over again. <laughs> like my oldest kid who's 14 now was like uh, like three or four years old when this came out. And I remember he used to just call this daddy's game music. Like it was just, <laughs> he grew up with this soundtrack. That's great. So it just, um, that just goes to show how much I, I love this game, how much I love the music. Um, one of my favorite of all time. So I, w- I was glad that Simon Viglund was born in Stockholm, Sweden, because it was a country that we hadn't visited yet on this show. So it was a perfect match to uh, to bring to this one. Have you ever played Bionic Commando or the or the rearmed sequel before? I I have I did play Bionic Commando. I rented it a couple of times way back in the day. Um, hmm. And uh, I really I enjoyed Forgive me, I think I might be mixing it up with a couple of other things around the same time, but this is the one where you had the grappling feature, right? Like you could... Correct. Yes, yeah. Then yeah, I, I really did enjoy this game. Like a lot of other NES games at the time, it was a little bit hard for me. <laughs> it's a tough game. And since I, since I rented it and didn't own it, I never really was able to get through too much of it. Um, mm. But uh, I remember enjoying what I did play, and um, I don't remember hardly anything about the soundtrack, so coming back to this song, this was kind of kind of a new thing for me and I have not played rearmed um, at all Uh, being kind of a Nintendo guy I didn't really and not much of a PC gamer I never really owned anything that that had it so Hmm. um, but it sounds sounds really really cool how was the game itself updated um, to kind of match the soundtrack update it's so it stays in the same 2d format that the original game was in but it's like you know polygonal 2d so um mm-hmm. they they didn't change too much the bosses are different the levels have some areas here and there that are a little bit changed up but not a lot they just kind of really just went through and remastered the whole thing i think is probably the best way to say it and then there's also a series of like uh vr missions where um, you go into these rooms and it's basically almost like a puzzle mode. Like you have to figure out how to swing and 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 run from one side of a room to the other, which is really cool because with the NES version, like you only get this set number of levels to play and you really don't get to play around with the grappling hook and like kind of um, discover new things you can do with different level setups. So uh, the VR missions were kind of a real treat for me to kind of play around with all the skills that I developed on the NES version and then use them in new ways that I wasn't able to before. So I really appreciated that. There was some voice acting and some, you know, some new animation and stuff. But overall, uh, I think they stayed really true to the NES version while updating the graphics and, and a little bit of the gameplay for the for the modern audiences. Very cool. Well, it sounds like it's definitely a game worth checking out. The soundtrack, for sure, is worth checking out. Yeah. This did lead me down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but um, Heat Wave, <laughs> Heat Wave was, was the standout for me as well. So Cool. Very cool, sir. Well, before we wrap up, I know I've peppered a few things in throughout the episode, but uh, where would you like to tell our listeners that they can find you? 
Oh, goodness. All right. So I guess the best place to go to is the VGEmbassy.com. That's where I list all of my shows when they come out. There are links to most of my social media right on that page. So if you go to the widget column on the right-hand side of that website, uh, you'll see links to uh, subscribe to the show on Google Music, on Apple Podcasts. You'll see a link to my Discord. I believe there's also a link to my Patreon, Facebook, and Twitter are all on there as well. So the VGEmbassy.com is the best place to be. Uh, also, if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a link called Staff Directory. And that's basically a list of every single VG Ambassador that I've had on my show so far and a little bio. So you'll see Bedroth yeah. on there as well, uh, my son Logan, and a whole bunch of other cool people who I've had on the show. I'm proud to be on there with uh, such great company. Uh, you've had a lot of great folks on the show. And, <laughs> I sure um, have. Yep. <laughs> I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to borrow your pixel portrait for the the art for for this episode. Absolutely, <laughs> man. This this has been such a blast. Um, thank you, Ed, for joining us on this uh, international journey through the world of VGM. Yeah. Shukabau, thank you as always for being here with us, son. Before I bring up the closeout track, I want to do something I hardly ever do and mention the music that we're going to play for the blooper reel on this episode, because I was originally going to open up with it, but then I finally saw my chance to play The Lum's Dream, which is really one of my favorite BGM songs, and I had to go with it. It's uh, I just love it so much. Um, but the theme I was originally going to play in, and that I think is pretty fitting for a blooper reel theme, is the Angry Birds theme, <laughs> composed nice. in 2009 by Ari Pulkinen, who is a Finnish composer. So yet another area that we have not quite visited on the show. We've come pretty close, danced around it, but Finland is its own unique place in the world for sure. But we are going to play out with something pretty special from a very recent game that came out in 2020 called Caveman Boy. This is an itch.io game that was uh, made by Nobleman. Uh, he was the, the single developer of the game. But he brought on a buddy of ours to compose the music for it. Uh, the composer for Caveman Boy is Volts Supreme, who is an Australian composer, DJ, and podcaster. He is the host of Volt Supreme's Synth VGM Dream Stream Machine podcast. I think I got that right. Does that sound right, Ed? You sure <laughs> did, sir. Which Ed has guessed it on a couple of times. And it is just, <laughs> I mentioned earlier in the show that I think about what different VGM podcasts bring to the table. Volt's show is like no other. It, it, it defies description. Um, it is a Synth VGM podcast with outstanding guests and just a really, really great vibe that I cannot recommend enough to anybody who hasn't heard it yet. Um, Volts hails from the town of Wollongong, which is in Australia. It's a coastal town about an hour south of Sydney. And the track that we are going to play out with is called Ice Age Approaches. Any last words, Ed and Chukapal, before we close out the show? I just want to thank you for having me on. I learned about a lot of cool games that I was not familiar with. Uh, I especially want to go and check out um, The Last Express now that you've reminded me of it. So I'm going to check that one out. And that game from Cameroon, Orion, sounds really cool too. So thank you for introducing me to those. I can't wait to play them. Well, you're very welcome, sir, and thank you for bringing a, a different sound than anything that we've had so far on the show. <laughs> I can't wait to have you back. Uh, Shukapal? Anything here to plug at the end? Any of your usual stuff? Um, well, go listen to my music on flat.io. 
<laughs> I seem to have gained a uh, large amount of followers and attention recently. Very so, cool. Um, and you are on uh, Twitter now, right? You're kind of the, since I don't really do the social media thing, um, you're you're sort of our public face on Twitter for the show. Mm-hmm. You're at Shoot Kapow. Um, of course, you can find us on YouTube where we post videos accompanying the podcast and also every other week post uh, previews of the next show. And yeah, I believe that that is about it. So, Ed, thanks again for joining us on the show. Thank you. Until next time, everyone. Play very good games, be very good people, and keep listening to very good music. We'll see you next time. Bye.
You're making your patented noises. Yes, patented noises for the blooper reel. Hey guys, how are you doing, Both, Both, Bedroth? Everybody, uh, without too much uh, way, I, I am rambling. It's well, Ramble Blast. It's been a long time since we've recorded. I'm kind of, kind of out of practice because we had so many episodes like <laughs> in the bag already. Well, anyway... Nope, we're going to Japan. <laughs> Cut that out. Okay. All right. Well, uh, so Shukapow, I think. Oh, I have a little bit on the composer if you'd like to learn a little bit about oh, Chef you know Timishuk. That is kind of the whole uh, point of tonight's show is talk about <laughs> these different composers. So, yeah. Koji Kondo apparently learned the electric or- or- origin. organ. Uh, she has some of her own uh, individual music as well, uh, or individual original music as well, I should say. I guess the melody just... Oop. Your mom just texted me. That was our... Uh, my text sound is the, the Zelda unlock a secret theme. Um, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> um, and of course, I forgot to turn it off before we were recorded, but... It's often the country is apparently often often referred to as Africa. Share. Do <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> you need some water? Sure. Let <laughs> me just grab my chug jug over here. He has this giant, like I don't know, five liter jug that exactly. he uses for marching band, and he still uses it like every day. <laughs> Keeps it's it by his laptop. At least he stays hydrated. I can't complain. Okay. <clears throat> All right. All right. Do you know what what style of music this is? <laughs> I just said your real name. <laughs> All right. Um. <clears throat> That's what editing's for. No, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a different person on our list. We're gonna go back and erase that. Okay. 